Well, thank you so much, worship team. Thank you for uh, helping us to worship uh, the Lord this morning by music, through words that set our hearts upon our Savior and upon His glory and His goodness, and to remember our salvation. It's so good to sing together as the church. Uh, if you noticed in a lot of the lyrics, we're singing about the blood of Christ, and, uh, and there will be a lot of focus on his blood today in Mark chapter 14, verse 22 to 26. Um, if you don't have a Bible this morning, just slide your hand up. Our ushers would love to bring you one. If you don't have a Bible at home, that is your gift uh, from us to you. Uh, take that home and read it and uh, come back and uh, enjoy what the Lord has for you, both in your own study, but also together collectively as the church. My name is Quentin. I'm the pastor here at Redemption Calgary South. So good to see our church family gathered together. Love to see your faces uh, up there. Uh, today, we're going to be turning, like I said, to Mark chapter 14, uh, verses 22 to 26 uh, this morning. And so if you could be turning there, uh, we're going to be focusing this morning on uh, the Lord's Supper as it lands in the text in our verse-by-verse uh, study of God's Word together in Mark. And again, we're, we're, we're closing out the, the book of Mark here by Easter. We'll, we will be uh, done, and, uh, and we're going to be uh, excited that uh, the text and the passion and the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection uh, will be celebrated uh, on uh, Good Friday and, and uh, in Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Yeah, I love how it all lines up here for us uh, this spring. But as we begin this morning, I want to ask you guys a few questions just to, just to get you uh, woken up here this morning and to be thinking. I want you to think about uh, the best meal that you've ever had. The best meal that you've ever had. The most enjoyable, fulfilling meal you ever had. Or maybe think about, maybe you haven't had what could be the best meal. I want you to think about the best meal, the best dinner the best supper that you could ever eat, something that you would just desire more than anything, no matter the cost, no matter the amount of preparation, uh, no matter the difficulty of preparing that meal, what would be the best meal that you could ever eat? Now, some of us may be thinking, you know, in the realms of myself, you know, I, I love meat. Maybe you're thinking of a filet mignon or a, or a prime rib or Maybe some would say lobster or crab or caviar. I don't know why you would like that, but some people like that. Some people would run to maybe the comfort food that mom and dad used to make when you were a kid. Uh, maybe like me, you just really love a good burger. I mean, that's, that's, when I think about the best meal, I, you know, the burger is just perfect. Um, maybe, uh, maybe you're not so much into meat and maybe you, you want the Beyond Meat burger or something else. Whatever the case, think of the greatest meal. Think of the greatest meal you could ever want to sit down and savor and enjoy. In fact, just close your eyes right now. Imagine that meal. You can smell it. You can taste it. You're, the fork and the knife are in your hand. Your mouth is watering, and you're ready to dive in, okay? So, favorite meal. Now, I want you to switch gears a little bit, and I want you to think about communion. I want you to think about the Lord's Supper. I want you to think about the cup and the bread. And then as you examine your heart of hearts, which meal is better? Which meal is greater? Which meal 
do you desire more? And just be honest about that. Which of those meals would be more appealing? Well, as Jesus in our text here again is just hours away from betrayal and arrest, as, as he and his disciples are, you know, they're smack dab in the middle of all of these great feasts, all of this great food, all the festivals going on in Jerusalem. Our long-awaited Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, takes his disciples and he serves a meal. He serves a meal followed by a very simple meal, which perhaps has, you know, very insignificant ingredients, but it's ultimately the most significant, nourishing, appealing, satisfying meal that you could ever dream about. It's, it's a meal that began on a secret Passover evening with Christ and his disciples, 12 men in the upper room, well, beginning with 13, but then down to 12, and has continued and expanded to this day across the world, celebrated by millions and millions of Christians across this planet. Friends, the Lord's Supper is the greatest meal that you could ever eat and drink. But do we see it as such in our hearts? Do our mouths water as we think about the cup? Uh, do our mouths water as we think about the bread? Do we get excited for it, just like we would any of the finest food in the wor world. But today my prayer is that the Lord's Supper just becomes so much greater in our minds, so much more appealing to our senses, and so much more even effectual to our faith, because it's more than bread, it's more than juice, it's the most significant, nourishing, appealing, satisfying meal that you could ever dream about. Let's go to the text, Mark 14, verses 22 to 26. And as they were eating, this is Christ and his disciples, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we need your help again today. We thank you that as we just sang, we can enter the throne room of grace boldly, not because of any merit that we have in and of ourselves, but because of Jesus Christ, your Son, who laid it all down for us, his body and his blood, so that we can access you. Lord, we thank you that this morning you are here with us, that you never leave us, nor do you forsake us, that you are always with us, even to the end of the age. But Lord, we also ask that by your, your spirit, you would, you would press your word into our hearts. Press your word into our minds. Would you renew the way that we think? Lord, we come to you with faulty thinking. We come to you with foolish hearts. We come to you with sin. And Lord, we lay it at your feet this morning. We ask for forgiveness. We confess that, that we fall short. But Lord, we also walk in here by the grace 
of your son by what you have done through him on the cross. Knowing that we have forgiveness and we have forgiveness forever when we are found in him. So today, use your word, change us, renew us, and use us for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, Lord's Supper. And I'm going to argue that it's the most significant, it's the most nourishing, it's the most appealing, it's the most satisfying meal that you could ever dream about. It's not just a tradition. It's not just a ritual. It's not just something that we do as Christians. It is significant. But, but why is it so significant? And why does it matter? What does all of it mean? Well, as Matthew and Mark and Luke's gospel all record this event, and even John, John's gospel uh, teaches around this event as well, and even as Paul later teaches uh, about it as well, we're going to examine uh, the Lord's Supper uh, this morning and see how and why it needs to be so significant in our Christian walk. And we're going to start by looking at the first verse, verse 22. Let's just start there. And as they were eating, again, like I said, that's Jesus and his disciples. It says that he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. So the first observation we're going to make here, and the first application we see going on here in the Lord's Supper is that you and I need to be regularly and faithfully eating the bread. Regularly and faithfully eating the bread because his body fully satisfies. It fully satisfies. Now the text says, as they were eating, it means that they were already eating. If you remember back to, to last week uh, in verses 12, uh, we see that it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, Mark 14, 12, it was on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. His disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And then Jesus gives them instructions after this, and his disciples obey him, and they pick up all of the food that they need. They pick up the necessities needed for the Passover meal, and then they go to this upper room, as Jesus has divinely orchestrated. And then verse 16 says, they prepared the Passover. So, and then verse 17 shows us that it was evening. Verse 18, they were reclining at table. And then as they were eating, Jesus reveals that one of the 12 is going to betray him, right? And all of the disciples, remember last week, they were baffled at this. Is it I? Is it I? And then John's gospel reveals Christ's answer to their question, is it I? Jesus answered in John 13, 26 to 27, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. And so Judas, uh, remember last week he was the religious imposter. He was a thief. He was a betrayer. He then leaves, and so now we're down to Jesus and his 11, and they are eating the Passover meal together, 
And this is so significant. As I mentioned last week, the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were really one big eight-day annual uh, event, celebration. You know, the first day being Passover, and then followed by seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so we would see the Jewish people every year for 1,500 years, ever since the Exodus, obediently celebrating the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and the Lord gave them the Passover meal as a memorial. It was a memorial meal, and it was a, it was a huge deal. It was the high event of the year. It was an annual reminder for God's people of one of the most momentous acts of divine intervention in their lives. If you remember back to the book of Exodus, you're going to remember, right, the Jewish people, they were in bondage and slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt for 400 years. But then God saved them from their slavery through Moses, right, and then a series of horrific plagues. And then the final plague was the death of all of the firstborn sons in Egypt. Passover celebrated the fact that God spared his own people from slaughter by their obedience of slaughtering a lamb in their place. Exodus 12, if you go back and study Exodus 12, it reveals that they were to take a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish, and they were to slaughter it at twilight, and they were to roast its flesh, and then they were to eat it, but then they were also to take the blood from that little sheep or that little goat and they were to paint it on the doorposts and on the, the lintels of their homes. And in doing so, as the Lord sent the angel of death, this final plague, when the angel of death would see the blood of the lamb painted on the, on the sills and on the sides of the door, he would pass over their homes sparing the firstborn sons of Israel, but destroying every other son in Egypt firstborn. Which would then propel them on their escape from Egypt. Right? This, was the, this was the greatest story of redemption in their whole history as a nation. And the Passover feast was given to them by God to continually remind them of his mighty saving hand that he saved them, that he loved them, that he chose them, and that he delivered them out of Egypt. And so as Jesus and his disciples are celebrating this memorial meal, his disciples would be thinking about all of this. They would be remembering all of these things. But then Jesus does something out of the ordinary. He does something quite different here, but it's extremely Significant. It says that he takes bread, and after blessing it, after praying and thanking God for the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, take, this is my body. Now, this would have been pretty strange for the disciples to hear, 
that amidst all of this remembering of God's salvation, Jesus then stops them, breaks a piece of bread, and tells them to eat, saying, this is my body. It would have been strange, out of the ordinary. So what is he doing here? What does it all mean that this bread is his body? Does he mean that this bread that he's passing out has literally become his body? Or is it symbolic? Well, some over the years have misinterpreted this text. Uh, The Roman Catholics believe that the bread that Jesus breaks here actually becomes the body of Christ, like literally becomes the body of Christ. In Catholic dogma, they teach that Christ becomes present in the sacrament of the altar by the transformation of the whole substance of the bread into his body. Right? They believe, even today, that as a priest blesses the bread while they're taking communion, the bread supernaturally becomes the real presence of Christ. And they believe that by eating the bread, they're literally ingesting the body of Christ as a means of grace. But let me ask you, does that make sense to you? Is that what's going on here? When Jesus says, take, this is my body. Well, that's not what we hold to in our church. We would believe that that is a grave error. As we've been watching Christ, his life and his ministry for the past two years in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen over and over again how how Jesus speaks in parables. Right? He spoke in parables to reveal and conceal, right? To reveal truth to some and conceal truth from others. We've witnessed Jesus using earthly objects over and over again to speak of heavenly truth all the time. And we see this throughout all the other Gospels as well. So just think about when Jesus said this. He said, I am the true vine. Or, I am the door. Or in John 6, 41, he he says, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Is Jesus saying, with regard to the vine, that I'm literally a plant? Or is he saying, I am a wooden door? Or is he saying that that I am actually a loaf of bread that has come down from heaven? No, Jesus is speaking figuratively. And that's even what's going on in this Passover meal. When you study about the Passover meal, there's always a host of the meal, the one who puts the meal together, who orchestrates the whole event. And and his responsibility as the host during the Passover meal, when when the food is laid out and before they eat, he's to stand up and he's to talk about the elements of the meal and how they represent the past. They represent elements of their salvation from Egypt. So if you had a Passover meal in front of you, there would be bitter herbs. The bitter herbs of the Passover meal represented the bitterness of their slavery. They would also have stewed fruit. 
and the stewed fruit would, would, would be red in appearance. And the color of that stewed fruit would represent the clay bricks that they were forced to make in Egypt. Also, the roasted lamb represented the saving blood. And then they would have unleavened bread representing the immediacy of God's salvation. So all of these things that they were meeting wasn't just for nourishment. It was to symbolize something else. So in the context of the meal, and Jesus is now changing, it's all symbolic. Right? And so when Jesus hosts the host of the meal, he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body. You know, his disciples would have already been thinking symbolically because of the Passover meal. Jesus is not saying here that his bread magically becomes his body. What he's showing them is that the bread represents his body. The Greek word for body here is soma. It means body. It means my person. It means my being. So think of the person of Christ, not just the flesh. If, if he was just speaking of the flesh, he would have used the word sarks, but he speaks of soma, my person, my being, my body. What Jesus is revealing so ironically in light of the Passover is that salvation could not come any longer through the sacrifice of animals upon animals, but rather through the sacrifice of his person of his body. Luke records the same story in Luke twenty two nineteen. 19. It says, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, and Luke adds this, which is given for you. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in what? In remembrance of me. The act of taking is a memorial. It's, it's a representative memorial of what Jesus is about to do. Friends, the body of Christ has been given for you. It has been given for you. That body that had to be beaten, that person that had to be nailed to a cross, that son that had to be killed and buried in the ground, a very real human body person in your place and it was given for you and so the bread Jesus breaks and gives represents his once for all bodily fulfillment of the whole Passover and feasts fulfillment of of every sacrifice that was given throughout the whole Old Testament up to this day. Because what? Because Jesus is our substitute. His perfect body for our imperfect body. His sinless person for our sinful person. That's how salvation works. He had to die in our place. The righteous for the unrighteous. A body for a body. A person for a person. And that's what he's talking about with the bread here. This is, this is the whole point of every sacrifice from the very beginning up to this point. Just think of Adam and Eve when they sinned. And they are ashamed and they are full of guilt over their sin. What did they do? 
They try to cover themselves with leaves. But when God finds them, what does he do? He kills an animal and he covers them with its skin. God kills an animal and covers them with skin to cover their shame. An animal had to die as a substitute. And this went on and on throughout the whole Old Testament. Goats and sheep and bulls and all kinds of animals being slaughtered, teaching the truth that a substitute would have to be killed in order for God's people to be saved. And so Jesus is saying in this symbolic act that he is the substitute. He's revealing that the bread should remind us of his bodily sacrifice, that in his body he received the just penalty for our sins. That in his body, he absorbed the wrath of God for our behalf, fully satisfying the divine justice of God for sin. Friends, God doesn't just forgive by snapping his fingers and magically forgiving you. Every sin that you have ever committed, every sin that you will ever commit, if you are his child, if you are truly saved by him, the penalty for that sin was taken upon Christ. It's not a magic trick. It's an exchange. He forgave us by pouring out his justice and wrath upon his son. And so the next time that we take bread, and we're going to take it here very shortly, think of the body of Christ that was given for you. Think of the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, 100% God, but 100% man. And think about this exchange. That his body was given to fully satisfy the divine justice of God for your sin. That by hanging on the cross, that by dying the death that we deserve, that he is this final, perfect, spotless lamb sacrifice for sin. So that the wrath of God would pass over us. Think, just think about Jesus here giving his disciples the bread. There's also another application given by Paul with this loaf of bread. You know, as the church is the body of Christ, are you guys the body of Christ? You are. We, we know that by Scripture. We are the body of Christ. When we take the Lord's Supper, we take it together. Do you guys take it on your own at home? No, this is, this is something we do together as a church. It's a unifying act. And as Jesus takes this one loaf of bread and he breaks off a piece and gives it to his disciples, it also speaks of, of unity. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. And if you examine the first century church, what did they do? Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. They obeyed and they continued on. This is something given to us to continually, regularly, faithfully celebrate the body of Christ given for us. So we need to be regularly doing that. We need to be eating the bread because his body fully satisfies. His body fully satisfied the wrath of God for you. And so that's what we're going to do here together. A little different this morning. We usually take the Lord's Supper after uh, the sermon. But because we're focusing on the bread, we're going to take it now. So I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and pass out uh, the elements. You're going to get both the, the, the cup and the bread, but just take the bread, hold on to it. You're going to receive the bread and the cup, but we'll just be focusing on the bread for now. And if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, meaning that by grace, through faith, you have turned from your sin and you believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, we encourage you to take this with us as the body, as one body of Christ. If you're not a believer, or if you're not sure, we, we would ask you to refrain. We, we would agree with the scriptures who would warn you against that right now. At this time, I would ask that you would contemplate where you are with the Lord. If I'm not comfortable with taking, where, where am I uh, with the Lord? If I, if I call myself a Christian and I truly believe that I am forgiven, you are invited to take this meal with us. And as Jesus gives thanks, we've seen him do that, I want you to take some time right now as well to, to thank the Lord for the bread, to thank the Lord for his body that has been given for you. Take some time just to, to meditate upon what we were just talking about, just, just thinking about the Passover in the context of this meal, re- remembering Israel's past salvation from Exodus, but then, but then also remembering that Christ perfectly fulfilled all of that. And this bread that he has given symbolically reminds us that we are all participators in his kingdom, in his church. And by participating in the Lord's Supper, it teaches us, again, about his person who is given, but also the unity of the church. And so as you, as you hold that in your hands, take some time to prepare uh, your hearts. And then I'm going to pray, and we'll take the bread. And then we're going to go on to teaching about the blood, but... Let's focus on the bread. Let's focus on the body of Christ. Give thanks. And I will pray here in a couple minutes. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven. As we sung this morning, we are in awe of who you are. We are in awe of what you have done by your spirit, by your word, by your son. By your grace, we do believe and we praise you for who you are. We praise you that Jesus alone is the bread that came down from heaven. That Jesus alone is the bread of salvation, that Christ alone is the perfect, final sacrifice for sin, that he was slain for the sins of the world, that he was slain for us in our place, 
that he was the one who absorbed the wrath in his body, not ours. Lord, how could we thank you enough? We thank you that by the body of Christ, you have saved us. And we are in awe of this. Help us to remember always. Help us to remember the Passover and the salvation of Israel, but how that was perfectly summed up in Jesus. And in this moment, Lord, we just pray for our own hearts that they would be coming before you in confession and faith, that we would be Christians who are living a repentant life, walking in your spirit, walking in your ways, not in our own strength, but in yours. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for the body of Christ given for us. Brothers and sisters, you can stand with, with me. We're going to take the, the bread uh, together. So take the body of Christ given for you and remember him. Let's do it together. All right, you can be seated. Now, Jesus didn't stop with the bread, right? He continued on here. I've got to have a little bit of tea. My throat is still not right. He didn't stop with the bread. He continued on. Verse 23 says, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Friends, as we need to regularly and faithfully eat the bread, believing that his body fully satisfies, we also need to regularly and faithfully drink the cup because his blood completely ratifies. The bread and the cup must always be taken together because together they paint the picture of the gospel. You know, once a month we have our children in service with us because this is a symbolic act and it teaches the gospel. And we plan that when we want them to be in the service with us, we're going to have the Lord's Supper on that Sunday so that they can see the visible gospel being preached in the act of taking the bread and the cup. They must always be taken together. It's a complete picture of salvation. So this cup that Jesus takes... In accordance with his Passover meal, it would have been the third cup of wine served for that meal. This was known as the cup of blessing in the Passover meal. It was served after the bread and, and after the main meal. And so, just like the bread, Jesus takes what was symbolizing past redemption, and he shows here that it it is ultimate fulfillment, again, of this Passover that they're celebrating. And the ultimate fulfillment is not only by the body, his ultimate fulfillment is by the blood. It says that he took a cup and he gave thanks. Now again, as Jesus would be the, the host of this Passover meal, he again was the one responsible uh, to, to talk about the symbolism that's going on, but he would also be responsible to pray over the meal, to give thanks. And although his words, his prayer here would not have been recorded, it would, would have most likely have been the, the regular liturgy that they would have used during the Passover meal. 
And his prayer would have gone something like this. He, he would have said, may the all-merciful one make us worthy of the days of the Messiah and of the life of the world to come. He brings the salvation of his king. He shows covenant faithfulness to his anointed, to David and to his seed forever. He makes peace in his heavenly places. May he secure peace for us and for all Israel. To which he would look to the rest of the group to agree and say, Amen. And then in that, Jesus is passing around the cup, one cup for each to drink, saying to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Again, the cup, this is my blood. You know, as, as Israel longed for the coming Messiah, and the Passover was always pointing uh, towards that, we see Jesus passing around this cup. And even in that prayer, it's talking about them uh, looking for a Messiah, looking for an anointed one. That's, that's what Messiah means, is anointed one, the Christ. And it would come from David, right? And, and there would be peace. So it's, it's a looking forward, looking past, but, but looking forward. They longed for a Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. And the, and the Messiah was among them. So we see this cup going around, a, a cup that would have been uh, full of uh, wine mixed with water. It would have been red. And Jesus is saying, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And so what we're seeing here is the Messiah that they've been waiting for, passing around a cup full of, of red wine. And he's connecting the old with the new. He's connecting the promise with the fulfillment that Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, is the final lamb sacrifice. They, as they would see the, the redness of the cup, they would be reminded of the redness of the blood of the Passover lamb, and it's pointing forward to the blood that Jesus was about to pour out on the cross for them. And in his blood, his blood would ratify, it would seal, it would guarantee a new covenant, right? The old covenant is now gone, and the new covenant has now come in Christ's blood. So as, as the bread symbolized his body given, the wine is going to symbolize his blood poured out. As Jesus was to be beaten and crucified within 24 hours. His blood was going to be splattered all over the ground. His blood was going to be all over the streets. The Roman cross was going to be stained with blood by the wounds from his lashings, by the nails in his hands, by the nails in his feet. And the sword that pierces his side. Friends, the cross of Christ was a bloody cross. It was gruesome. It was horrifically violent. But it was necessary. It was the only way. You see, in the Old Testament, blood was required to establish a covenant. Blood was required for purification. Blood was required 
for the forgiveness of sins. When we look back to the Passover, when we look back to the deliverance of God's people, uh, when, when he delivers them out of Egypt and takes them into the wilderness, God then gives his people the law, right? He gives the law to Moses, and Moses is to read the law to them, and then God establishes a covenant with his people. And how does he do it? He does it with blood. Hebrews 9, 19 to 22. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Just think about all that blood. You got all the people, you got, you got the book, you've got the tabernacle, splattered with blood. And then verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So as the blood of calves and goats were sprinkled and splattered all over that tabernacle, upon the law, upon the people, the truth is this. There is no amount of blood from the millions and millions of sacrifices of calves and goats and bulls that could actually ever forgive and purify a person. Just think about all the bloody sacrifices throughout all the history of Israel. And even to this day when Jesus is, is, is having his Passover, think about the sacrifices of the temple. The temple was known to be a place just streaming with blood. None of those sacrifices could ever do actually anything. None of those sacrifices could ever forgive one sin. They had no power to cleanse or purify anything. The blood of goats, rams, calves, lambs had no power in and of themselves. They were mere shadows of the only final, perfect, spotless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They had no power. Friends, we have to remember that the people of the Old Testament, God's people, were not saved by sacrifice. They weren't saved by the blood of animals. They were saved just like you and me. They were saved by faith. Not by the blood of goats. Not by bulls. Not by lambs. In fact, if, if faith was disconnected from the sacrifice, God rejected it altogether. Isaiah 111. What to me, God is saying this, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or of goats. Friends, their faith was disconnected from the sacrifice, and it displeased God, and he would reject that. The blood 
of bulls and goats and lambs had no power to save anybody, no power to forgive anybody. They were mere shadows of the one to come who would, the blood that was going to be spilt. The sacrifices were not supposed to be seen as a source of salvation and forgiveness, but rather pointing forward to the person of salvation, the Messiah to come, pointing forward to the horizon, like, like signs, right? Like road signs, that there is a, a city coming. There's, there's somebody that's going to come. Every one of those sacrifices is a road sign. Do this, but it's actually this. There's one coming. The spotless lamb is coming. And he is going to be slaughtered during the final Passover. We see that in the scriptures, this timing of the Passover and Jesus, Jesus' death. Jesus dying, the bloody death that you and I deserve. Remember trading. He traded his innocence for our guilt. He exchanges his righteousness for our unrighteousness. He absorbs the punishment upon himself, and he sets us free in his blood. He removes the curse from us. He takes the curse upon himself. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Friends, this was the only way. This was the plan before time. The plan was always going to be his blood, not ours. His blood, not the blood of animals. Those were meant to point towards his blood. This was always the plan. And it was to ratify and confirm his everlasting covenant with his people. His everlasting covenant for you and me. So when we take the cup, as we see the redness of the juice. It represents the blood of our Savior. It reminds us to believe. It leads us to remember. And it leads us to remember this. All of those sacrifices are over. No more blood has to be spilt any longer. The final lamb sacrifice, Jesus Christ, has come. And in his cross, it is finished. His blood has been poured out once for all, confirming his everlasting covenant of love and salvation for his people. And so I'm going to ask you to take the cup with me. Just as the disciples received the cup, we're not passing around one cup, just think of one cup going around. I want you to focus your hearts upon the redness of this cup. Focus your hearts upon the cross today. Remember the bloody cost. We remember that, that it should have been our blood. Right? but it was his. His blood poured out in our place. And in his blood, we remember that there was, there's a new covenant. There's a new agreement purchased, ratified perfectly in the blood 
of the perfect lamb sacrifice, Jesus Christ. We, re- we remember that our cleansing, we remember that our forgiveness came only through the sprinkling of his blood alone. That in his shed blood, every sin, past, present, future, was judged upon Jesus Christ and that our sin has been washed away, forgiven forever. So in that, we, are, we, we thank the Lord. We thank the Lord, um, the one who Hebrews 9.12 says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption by his blood, eternal redemption, eternal covenant. Friends, blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And it's Christ's blood. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. This cup is a new covenant in his blood. Do this in remembrance of him. Let's stand together. And let's take together. As often as you drink it, remember Christ. Drink the cup. His blood completely ratifies. Let's take together. We need to regularly and faithfully eat the bread, drink the cup. You can be seated. His blood, or his body, remember, fully satisfies. His blood completely ratifies. And then as we look at, we continue in the text, it doesn't end there. With both the bread and the blood, we need to regularly and faithfully anticipate the day. His church eagerly glorifies in him. Verse 25, truly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Friends, as much as the Lord's Supper is a memorial for us to be looking back, it's also a call for us to be looking forward. As Jesus focuses on, On his body, right, dying and his blood being poured out, he also gives his disciples hope that it's not the end, that although it is the last final Passover, it's not the last that you're going to see of your Savior. Just as he already said back in Mark 9, 31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. Remember the disciples really struggled with trying to understand this. And when he is killed... After three days, he will rise. Friends, we don't believe in a dead God. Jesus is alive. He rose from the grave. And then after he rose from the grave, he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. And he appeared to his disciples. And he trained them and taught them for for 40 days. And then he ascended right to the right hand of God. And he promised to return in power and glory to consummate this kingdom that he has begun, to come and to take his bride to finish what he has started. And it's coming soon. And there's so much hope in that good news. Jesus says, I will not drink again 
of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I also love what Matthew's gospel adds to it. Jesus says, when I drink it with you. When he drinks it with us. Friends, the Lord's Supper is to remind us of the cross. But it's also to remind us of the coming day. It's a rehearsal. It's a rehearsal of the kingdom feast that is to come. When our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, when he returns for his bride, when he returns for you and me, when he returns for the church, and in his returning, there is going to be a consummating wedding feast where there's going to be feast and there's going to be drink. Remembering his final ultimate Passover and worshiping him in glory forever and ever and ever. The apostle John, remember his vision of the marriage supper of the Lamb, he says in Revelation 19, 6-8, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for... The marriage supper of who? Of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. The bride has made herself ready. So friends, as we regularly and faithfully eat the bread and drink the cup, we're having an ongoing wedding rehearsal. It's a rehearsal of the meal to come with our bridegroom, with the Lamb. Remembering the cross. Remembering how he began it all. The inauguration of his covenant. The pouring out of his blood. For you and for me. Oh, what a day that's going to be. And that hope should give us so much joy. It should give us so much to look forward to. As, as life is hard, as the tough stuff comes, as the world fails all around us, there is one who never fails. There's one who won it all in the cross by his body, by his blood for you. You know, our dear friend Carol's in the hospital dealing with cancer. But I have never seen a lady with so much joy, so much happiness, because she knows she's going to be at that marriage supper of the Lamb. This text closes with singing, singing. You know, music exists, singing exists for the worship of our king. That's why we have it. To worship and glorify the lamb who was slain, the lamb who gave up his body, the lamb who spilled his blood so that we would be spared from that ultimate judgment. And so the church eagerly glorifies. As we look forward to that day, we eagerly worship in our lives, but also collectively as we grow together in the grace of Christ, but also in our singing. I love it. It says that they sung a hymn. 
And then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Friends, we don't have to wait for Christ to return to worship. We don't have to wait for the supper to worship the Lord. Worship begins right now. So as the church is waiting, actively waiting, remember, we're awake. We are worshiping. And we're singing. And we're praising. And we're repenting. And we're living in hope because he is coming. In the beginning of the sermon, I asked you to imagine the greatest meal you could ever have. But there is no greater meal than this. The Lord's Supper is so simple, but yet so profound. It is so beautiful, and it has been given to us by grace to regularly remind us of the gospel. To regularly remind us because you and I forget daily. Daily, we forget the glory of the gospel. And so the Lord gave this to us to regularly see the gospel on display. So this meal is the most significant, most nourishing, most appealing, satisfying meal that you could ever dream about. It is. And so let us regularly as a church eat the bread, drink the cup, and anticipate the day because his body fully satisfies. His blood completely ratifies. And the church eagerly glorifies. Now we're going to, as they sung a hymn, we're going to sing as well. And it's a new song. But I'm going to pray. The team is going to come and we're going to sing and glorify the Lord together. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that uh, you have given us uh, this ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you have given it to us to com- always be reminding us of what you have done and what you have fulfilled. Lord, as the church, we stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, not by ourselves. Lord, we thank you that all of those sacrifices were given, but they were meant to point forward, and Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled all of that. No more sacrifices are needed. It was once for all. And Lord, we thank you that we get to celebrate that together. We thank you that we regularly get to take the bread and the cup. May it be more and greater than what it was last week or the week before. May it be greater in our eyes. May it be dropping us to our knees in repentance and faith and joy and hope, knowing the beauty of what you have done through the final lamb sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And may it be effectual for our faith as we're always brought to the reminder of the goodness of the gospel, how it's not just about salvation, it's, all about, it's also about walking with you and living and glorifying you for the rest of our days. So as we sing to you, Lord, may you receive all the glory for the body and the blood that was given for us. We pray this in Christ's name.